The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, bud? Hey, y'all. How's it going? Uh, Glad to be here, as always. Another week. Let's go. All right. Just to let everybody know that Know the Score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us on our website at CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google+. You can also rate and review us through iTunes and any app for Android or iPhones. So, Dwayne, will start off with the very last coaching vacancy in the NFL has finally been filled as the Indianapolis Colts get their man in Frank Wright, the former offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, the Colts do get an offensive mind to work with Andrew Luck. Um, they get a guy who's really hot coming off of the run that Nick Foles had and Carson Wentz as well. So he definitely struck while the iron was hot as far as Frank Wright goes with his coaching uh, success. I think this is only like his second year or third year as an offensive coordinator. So, Dwayne, what are your thoughts about not getting Josh McDaniels and having to settle for Frank Wright for the Indianapolis Colts? I don't even think it's settling for Frank Wright. I think it's a good move for the Colts because you have a guy who is a very experienced backup. You have a guy who came into this season, you know, working with a young quarterback like Carson Wentz, elevating his game to new heights along with uh, working with Nick Foles. And you remember, this is kind of like the collection of uh, backup quarterbacks a little bit with uh, Doug Peterson being the head coach, Frank Reich, the offense coordinator, because you remember he backed up Jim Kelly. And shout out to Frank Reich for being the first Carolina Panthers quarterback as well. So uh, he does have experience starting as well. And it's a great move because he will build a good relationship with Andrew Luck. And I think he can bring that culture that he experienced with the Eagles to Indianapolis. And and with uh, Josh McDaniels, we pretty much said last week uh, on the show that he's literally burned his bridges with pretty much any other team that's looking for a coaching vacancy. I think a team would have to be extremely desperate to hire him if it isn't the New England Patriots. I also think that it's a overall good move. Frank Reich's a great person, a great coach. Uh, you know, even though he's uh, very relatively new to the coaching scene, he will get the job done, and I think he'll bring the Indianapolis Colts back to prominence. He already has experience with Tony Dungy as a coaching intern, and he's going to take that going forward, and he's going to be a success. I think if you're a fan of the Colts, one of the things you're going to be very interested in is what type of defensive coordinator he decides to hire. Because, you know, we kind of, I guess, pretty much allude if Andrew Luck comes back that people think they're going to have enough firepower. Uh, they maybe need an upgrade at running back. Frank Gore is getting a little older. Could use some more explosiveness there. But I think on defense, it's kind of where people are looking at this hire and what's he going to do there. Trusting that he will have the offense, you know, high flying once again, depending on, you know, the health of Andrew Luck. Well, he already has a defense coordinator because uh, the defense coordinator who was already uh, hired when Josh McDaniels came on with the 
Well, when they had the agreement with Josh McDaniels, he already signed with the Colts to be the defense coordinator. I'm actually trying to get his name right now, but they already have a defensive coordinator in place, and Chris Ballard and Jim Mercy already said that since they already signed that contract, he will be the matter who they bring in as the head coach. And so uh, it's uh, Matt Herberfluss, who was previously with the Dallas Cowboys, I believe. Um, he was a linebacker coach, and now he's a defensive coordinator. He already signed his contract, and and so it would be – they already felt like it would be unfair to him and to the um, line coach as well, uh, Mike Fair, defensive line coach, who already signed on to be McDaniel's assistant. He'll be Reich's assistant as well. Okay. Well, that's a very interesting way to, you know, do business. Um, but this is a very interesting situation that the Colts were in. So I guess they kind of, you know, that's very cool that they would honor uh, those gentlemen's contracts and their word. And uh, they stuck with them and, and Frank Wright coming in and, and, you know, sticking with them as well. So we'll see how this works. Um, you know, usually sometimes you get a, a, a general manager who has to come in as a new general manager and, and gets an order from the owner that he has to keep the coach. But you never really see this with the other way around with, you know, coaches being on staff and then thinking you're going to get one guy and then a new guy comes in and he doesn't get to, you know, pick his own guy. So, you know, we'll see how this interesting situation plays out. Shifting over to the NBA, uh, the new look Cleveland Cavaliers got to display their new pieces before the All-Star break and they were pretty impressive. Uh, LeBron, I'm pretty sure, internally got a kick out of beating down the Boston Celtics on the same day that they were going to retire Paul Pierce's jersey with Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Doc Rivers, uh, all sitting there in the front row with the sourpuss on as uh, Cleveland demolished Boston. Uh, They were up by as much as 25-27 at certain points in this game. Uh, Clarkston, uh, Jordan Clarkston looked like a new basketball player playing with LeBron James. Actually, I had to like rub my eyes like, who is this shooting this jumper? It's like, oh, that's Jordan Clarkston. Okay. Uh, so, Dwayne, I'll let you get in on the, the new lit Cavs versus Boston from last Sunday. I don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> I would rather kind of just, especially on Paul Pierce's day, but I was having the sourpuss face right along with Doc KG and all of them because, let's just face it, Boston wasn't ready for this Cavaliers team. I mean, they never played the game, so was, you can't really – study film on what you don't have. So so pretty much life did come at the Celtics fast. Um, eventually it also hit the Thunder as well the following uh, later on in that week. So, And that's, I think this is going to pretty much help the Cavaliers going forward because, you know, you only got two games of film on how to potentially stop them. So they're going to have more tricks up their sleeve as they continue to get to know each other, get to gel, and see what kind of chemistry issues or or um, things like that. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, a new player. Larry Nance Jr. stepped up a lot. Um, J.R. Smith had a renewed sense of shot. Like, we didn't know where J.R. Smith was all season. He was on the milk carton, and all of a sudden he's back in – business so it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out after the all-star break uh toronto is leading the east with boston and cleveland um behind and 
and we'll just have to see what happens moving forward. All right, you mentioned uh, the Cavs against the uh, Thunder uh, later on in the week. They got an eight-point win over the Thunder. Very entertaining game. Uh, LeBron James, you know, Mr. Do-It-All facilitator, and uh, they got past the Thunder, who, you know, up until that time have been looking very impressive. So two statement victories from the Cavs. And, you know, like you said, they're just kind of getting their mojo together. I think it's very simplistic right now, and that's probably – um, very helpful for them right now. There's not too many, you know, plays or too many sets, um, you know, because they got so many new guys to try to integrate at one time that they're just going out there and playing and being more instinctive. And it looks like LeBron's got some guys who can actually run with them, catch up with them, and not trail behind them on these fast breaks. And their fast break points have been up, and uh, they look like they're having a lot of fun. Uh, LeBron's back to doing this thing with the antics and whatnot, and uh, that's really a big sign of, uh, you know, whether he's really enjoying himself playing with his teammates because, you know, he likes to have fun on the court. And we hadn't seen a lot of that when he had the old guys. So we'll see how this plays out going forward as the season gets into the second half. Um, There was a little dust up right before the all-star break between Rajon Rondo and Isaiah Thomas, as both of these guys got ejected after some back and forth that got a little physical, um, spilled into the crowd a little bit, both guys pushing and shoving. And, uh, Isaiah Thomas believes it's all because of the Isaiah Thomas tribute that was planned on Paul Pierce Day. So, uh, Dwayne, do you have anybody that's as right as die for you as Rajon Rondo apparently is for Paul Pierce? I wish. I mean, even when you're no longer in the league and you're, you know, enjoying retirement and having a new job of ESPN and whatnot, I mean, Rondo had the point. I kind of see where he's coming from. I mean, you have a great franchise in the Boston Celtics who, you know, it's all about championships, you know, it's all about getting the NBA title. When you have 17 of them, you know, you don't hang conference finalist banners like the Indianapolis Colts do. Um, so it's kind of just like what Rondo said. I mean, Rondo had a valid point, and I think that, you know, you have a team who was – very, very close-knit like the Celtics were in 2008. Um, and we kind of just saw how that most of that team was. I mean, sans Ray Allen, of course. But um, Isaiah Thomas, what he did the last year for Boston was exceptional. Trust me, I was one of the people who was kind of upset about the Kyrie trade. I mean, I was cool with Kyrie coming, but I was sad IT was leaving. But you know, at the same time, you had a situation where you would have had three max contracts with Hayward, Horford, and Thomas, and the Celtics didn't want to go heavy into that luxury tax. So, what Isaiah Thomas, I mean, you kind of like, what What do you do? Get us to the conference finals? Do You do, You get a tribute video for that. I mean, you want a championship, you should get a video. So, that's where the dust-up is and, and was. It was just had to see if these two teams play again, and if if it gets uh, testy one more time. Those old Celtics, man, they're even more crankier than the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Boston Celtics. I mean, Paul Pierce and and Kevin McHale and Ronda, uh, Kevin Garnett, excuse me, and Rondo. Good gracious, man. I mean, they just hold things and hold things to the end. I mean, they're out here basically boycotting Ray Allen because he went to the Heat because he actually still has some use in his career where nobody wanted them when they were at the end of their career and they're holding that over his head and he's not a part of the club anymore. 
It's well, they did mend crazy. fences. They did mend fences. I mean, Pearson, Allen have talked. I mean, Ray Allen did for a long time get dragged, and he was the expendable piece for a long time. And Ray felt like KG and Pierce and Rondo, they didn't fight for him. And Rondo and Allen had issues in the past as well as Rondo was the rising star. Ray Allen was getting jealous of that because it used to be the big three with Pierce, Garnett, and Allen. And then Rondo started becoming a rising star in the point guard. And Ray Allen kind of got jealous because Rondo was getting more attention. So it does stem from a lot of animosity between Rondo and Allen, but Rondo's the one that wanted to put this uh, Celtics get-together in play, and he did reach out to Ray Allen. So, you know, the only the only thing now is really is Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, are they going to mend the fences? Because everybody else pretty much has to this point, but I don't know if KG has, has um, decided to reach out or let that go just yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just how long, you know, Ray Allen stays on the outside of this uh, little Boston Celtics thing. But uh, again, this is the All-Star Weekend. So, of course, everybody is gathering out in Los Angeles, California, as that we are celebrating the greatest showcase of talent in one spot in the world of basketball. So it all gets kicked off, of course, on Friday night as they've changed it up. But what is affectionately known as the rookies versus sophomore game is now the world versus USA and the world scored 155 points to defeat the USA uh, 155 to 124. And our man Borjan Bajanovic was the MVP. Uh, he was really shooting the ball from deep and man, his stroke was, was really, really looking good. You know, this is kind of like the, I guess it's what's going to be the new kind of high scoring all-star game, the, you know, dunk fest, have fun, you know, kind of like a McDonald's all American game with a little bit better skills. So, uh, what do you think about the USA versus world game? I thought, I, I, I didn't see much of this game. I think by, the time I did get to take a look at it, the world was pretty much well in hand and moving and destroying the USA. So I, I like the concept, you know, instead of having the rookies versus sophomores, you know, you want to change it up. You know, it's, it's a good switch from East versus West. And, and we can see how much of a global game like the NBA has always been a global game for and marketing itself as a global game for the last uh, 25 or some odd years. And, and a lot of people, you know, still see it as a global game. So the world versus USA concept for the rising stars was a, has been a great idea, I should say. And, you know, the world finally broke through. I think they have won uh, before, but the way they destroyed the USA and, Pretty much the USA knew the game was over, so might as well make it a dunk fest and put on a little show for the fans, even in the losing effort. Yes, uh, Donovan Mitchell um, was a nice over-the-head alley-oop to uh, Jason. I think, didn't that Jason Collins? Is that his name? The kid from Wake Forest. And, yeah, uh, six, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was one, a very nice spectacular dunk. And uh, Jalen Brown as well had a nice dunk contest worthy 
dunk get people's appetite you know wet for what was coming the next night and as we shift over to all-star saturday night we start out with the skills competition uh, the skills competition is set up where we have a group of big guys that compete against each other and then we have a group of smaller guys usually guards and forwards that compete against each other and then we come down to one winner between the big guy and the small guys and then they face off in the end so the finals was laurie marketing versus spencer dinwiddie and Spencer Dinwit with the upset, and he wins the skills competition. Uh, he's the lone Brooklyn Net represented at the All-Star Weekend. This is like the only thing that he's doing. He's not in the game. And, hey, if you're going to be out there, you might as well win. And he surprised a lot of folks. A lot of people thought Lou Williams was going to win, uh, and a lot of people thought that uh, Laurie Marketing uh, was probably going to either win or at least be in the finals, which he was. Um, I think Laurie Marketing impressed a lot of people with just how skilled he is, uh, especially shooting the ball. A lot of people haven't really seen him shoot um, since he played for a West Coast team in college, and he also plays for the Chicago Bulls. So uh, your thoughts on the skills competition, Dwayne? Yeah, so the – so the pretty much the skills competition, the funniest part of that was Joel and B trying to cheat to win and he still lost. But it was a very good competition. I was kinda of back and forth between working the Predators game and and uh watching All Star Saturday night. So uh seeing Spencer uh Dinwiddie, you know, go back home to Los Angeles in front of his friends and family and represent the Brooklyn Nets and get the win. It was a good win, and it was about time the guards came back and took this uh, challenge. I mean, the big men have been coming in, trying to do what guards do for and winning these competitions for a long time. But now to see that, now to see that um, the guards take it back again, I'm very happy for, for uh, Dinwiddie and the guards of the NBA. Yeah, I think this is a really cool showcase, especially for the big men, because they get to showcase, you know, a lot of the talents that they normally don't get to showcase off in the game, especially Embiid or, you know, someone uh, like a Larkin who can show off their dribbling and their passing uh, and especially their shooting from long range as you have to make a three point shot to uh, complete the series of uh, obstacles. So like, this was a very fun competition and, uh, you know, good for Spencer Dinwiddie in front of his folks and, you know, representing and giving the Brooklyn Nets a little bit of shine in the season in which they really aren't going to have any uh, going forward. So good for him. And then we moved on to the three-point shootout, and Devin Booker continues to make a name for himself. Last year he scored 70 points against the Boston Celtics, and t- this year he wins a three-point shootout as he outlasts Tobias Harris and Clay Thompson, and he also sets a record scoring 28 points in the finals. Uh, he got hot down the stretch the last two racks, and uh, he pulled it out. Clay Thompson uh, was right there on his heels, but he missed a couple too many. Took him a little bit longer to get in his rhythm than it did for um, Devin Booker, and Devin Booker is your slant, is your excuse me, your three-point champion. So, Dwayne, you know, this is one of the marquee, marquee matchups that really, you know, can elevate a guy's career once you become known as a three-point marksman. Uh, you know, people start looking at you a little bit different. Um, you know, what's this going to do for Devin Booker and the profile of the Suns? Yeah, so the my, I don't know what's going to do for the Suns because they get on national TV and get blasted by 40 points every single time they play, but it's great for Devin Booker as an individual. I mean, he's already dropped 70 points in the game, so we know he can fill up the score, the score sheet, and this just adds to his 
already growing a legacy here. And so it shows that there is a star in Phoenix uh, with the Suns, but the Suns have been already ridiculed for getting on national TV and looking very awful. So it's a good positive thing. He's Devin Book is probably the best thing going for Phoenix right now. I would say maybe uh, Josh Jackson, who's had a uh, who's had a few good games as well. But the Suns need to get some uh, more talent down there, so they don't get you know embarrassed the way they have the seasons. But for Devin Booker, it's a great, it's a very very great job. You know, setting records, elevating his game. And, you know, he's already was a marksman with that 70-point game. And now the youngest to win a three-point shootout, youngest to win, uh, the youngest to drop 70, it's great for him. Now, I was very surprised that uh, Paul George was not on uh, the second uh, most made That's threes putting it lightly. in the NBA this year. And he didn't even score double digits. I think he scored nine. Nine. Man, it was it was not looking very good. I think a lot of people were impressed with uh, Wayne Ellington. I don't think a lot of people understood that uh, he leads the NBA with 189 made three-pointers off the bench for Miami. Uh, he was a, a factor in the first two rounds but didn't make it into the finals. And yeah. I personally was surprised with Tobias Harris. I didn't know that he was uh, such a good three-point shooter. but uh, he, he, he really is. is. And I think that a lot of people – miss that about his game because he's such a he's a bigger small forward he's one of the bigger small forwards in the NBA but he has a really really good shot and a lot of people did not see that coming especially with the Blake Griffin deal they're probably just like oh Tobias Harris whoop you do but he's a really good player he really can score very very underrated and can we also just talk about how great those uniforms looked last night I mean especially the Miami I mean, you see it up close. I mean, you see it on, you see it in the game, but you don't really get to appreciate it as much as seeing those um, statement and pride uniforms on display. And it's really just awesome to see. Yeah, I, I thought the uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s uh, Dallas uniform was really tight. It was black with the green and and the kind of blue, like both colors that Dallas have had in their past. It was really tight. Mm-hmm. So we'll move over to the main event of All-Star Weekend, of course. That is the slam dunk competition, as we had Donovan Mitchell outduel Larry Nance Jr. to become the 2018 slam dunk contest winner. Uh, I thought this was a very enjoyable slam dunk contest. I think I was most disappointed by Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, he's had some highlights and some things on YouTube, some training going on into this that were pretty spectacular. And then he got here in front of the bright lights and uh, did not perform as we thought he could. But uh, Donovan Mitchell definitely stole the show. Um, you know, standout rookie from the Utah Jazz. He's been impressive in games as far as, you know, his, his all-around game. And, uh, you know, he got to showcase his special dunking ability. So your thoughts on just uh, Donovan Mitchell and just overall the dunk contest? Overall, the dunk contest was great. I know I've said for, for that the dunk contest probably should be before the three-point competition. But the last few years have really brought the enjoyment of the dunk contest. I mean, Dennis Smith Jr.'s reverse 360 through the legs, switching the hand. That was probably 
one of the best dunks of the night. Like that was probably like top two dunks for me. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. I love the tribute to his pops on the first dunk. Uh, I also love the the um, off the backboard twice, and you know you gotta have a lot of hops to put it off the backboard yet again and then slam it home. So I thought the Donovan Mitchell, the tribute to Vince Carter was pretty awesome. I think if he definitely, he did hit it on the first dunk. I thought it would have been closer. Uh, I thought they would have been a co-champion. I really was hoping uh, Larry Nance Jr. would win just because his dad was there and his dad won it before. And so kind of seeing seeing those two have a moment there. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, the first dunk he did off the second uh, backboard, then hopping over his sister and Kevin Hart and his son uh, with ease. I mean, anybody can leap over Kevin Hart, but that's another story for another day. Um, Oladipo was probably the biggest disappointment with the – but I did like the Black Panther um, mask. I think had he done it, on the first dunk, it would have been even better. But Dennis Smith Jr., he got robbed probably at the end of the day. Uh, would have been, should have been a lot tougher for those judges, but the the right guy won. And I loved how he was able to enjoy that moment, but he's already focused on what's next for his team and getting them to the playoffs. So. Yeah, uh, Utah is uh, one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. Probably the hottest team. I think they've won like 11 games in a row after yeah. they've uh, got some players back from injury. And it looks like Quinn Snyder's got those guys, you know, right back in the mix uh, for the bottom of the Western Conference. Uh, so it would be, you know, cool to see, you know, Donovan Mitchell get, a, you know, more spotlight uh, games coming down the stretch as Utah tries to battle to get in the playoffs. And not only that, like, you have – Four and a half games literally separating third through tenth in the West. So that's how close it is. So anybody can get in any position. I was pretty surprised to see how close the Spurs were, the separation between the Spurs and the Jazz out West. Um, so as we record this on Sunday, uh, we're – you know, several hours here before the All-Star game, we have the new format as we have Team LeBron versus Team Steph. Uh, they've picked their players. Um, we've had some, you know, changes due to injuries, uh, mostly to LeBron's team as he's had to pick up several players because some of his original picks uh, won't be able to play in the game due to injury. John Wall, Boogie Cousins, uh, most notably. So uh, how do you feel this game is going to play out? The NBA is trying to make it more competitive uh, the last few years with the uh, as much talent as the West have, has had. It's been kind of much, you know, the you know West versus LeBron. So they're trying to make it a little bit more competitive this year. Do you think this is going to accomplish the, that goal? I think it will accomplish a goal. I think, was, you know, the new concept is generating a lot of buzz, a lot of interest. And I think, you know, you all want to be the captain of the losing team. So given LeBron and Steph have had this ongoing uh, history being the focal points of their teams for the last three years in the finals, this is just another chapter. And being the first captains of your teams that you select, which should have been on TV, by the way. But it's kind of like who's going to be the guy? Is it going to be one of the replacements that's going to create their own legend? Is it going to be uh, the, the last two picks, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and Al Horford? Are they going to be like, you should have picked me last? Or or will it be one of the stars, you know, that will 
that we expect to have a great game. So this is very exciting uh, for me as a fan. I love the fact that I love the fact that it will be um, a great competitive game. And you know, it's funny how you know KD against three of his Warriors teammates, LeBron and Kyrie are back together. You know, John Wall, Boogie Cousins, Chris Porzingis, all and uh, one more guy. You know, all went down with injuries. All on Team LeBron, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out and the concept of it going forward. It'll be fun. Yeah, me too. Um, I probably won't get my 200 point All Star game, which I was so very close to last year. They got 198. They had a couple of missed free throws by Russell Westbrook. Right. I was looking for that 200 as well. So, and. it was so close. Yeah, it was so close. So um, another thing going into this year is that uh, we have five players in this game that are from L.A. And so with the way that now the teams are kind of, you know, a little bit more separated, the star power isn't so concentrated on one team. You know, they're kind of looking to maybe be the MVP of the All-Star game, have it be somebody from L.A. Um, it's DeMar DeRozan. It's Paul George. It's James Harden. It's Clay Thompson. And who is the fifth guy? Um, help me out, Dwayne. There's a fifth Westbrook. guy. Westbrook. Yeah, Westbrook, Westbrook from L.A. So um, who do you think has the best chance to pull it out amongst those five L.A. guys for the MVP? James Harden comes on the top of my list. Then Russell Westbrook. Paul George, I think he's going to want to redeem himself after that nightmare three-point contest and getting literally roasted by everybody. Um, around the world, so I know he's probably wanting to probably show that hey, that that game, the three point contest was just an aberration of my game. Um, DeRozan, he's going to want to show out at home, but I think James Harden, that's my that's my um, top pick for the LA guys, followed by Westbrook. Okay. And before we uh, switch off of the All-Star game, do you have a, you know, All-Star game memory that kind of sticks out to you uh, throughout the years? For me, my All-Star memory would probably be the the year that Glenn Rice won the MVP. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't see that coming, but he was uh, dead on. I mean, he was a very good marksman for the Charlotte Hornets. Um also, that so that was probably the game that stood out for me. Probably also the Michael Jordan's last All Star game, where he had the speech where he felt like the game was going to be in good hands. And for a while, it seemed like it was the product was going a little downhill, but it's really rise back up. And I think the product now is a lot is even better than it was um, fifteen years ago around that time. But I am also looking forward to next year. Uh, I'll start being in Charlotte, you know, for the first time. Since 1992, it was supposed to be there two years ago, but uh, you and I both know how that played out. So it's going to be very exciting for uh, the city of Charlotte, and I'm already looking forward to next year to see how, how, um, how things go because a lot of hotels have been put up, a lot of uh, accommodations for the All-Star game, a lot of different amenities to the arena. Um, the old scoreboard is now pretty much four TVs around the 
building and you got a new scoreboard, new suites, everything. So I'm looking forward to next year. All right. Uh, yeah, that Charlotte All-Star game definitely uh, was a memorable one. That was the D. Brown uh, pump em up dunk contest year. Um, the Magic Johnson All-Star game where he came back after having to miss the season uh, after he uh, had HIV and he hit the, the three-pointer to basically seal the game for the West. That was a memorable one for me as well. And uh, probably a third one would probably be the year that uh, Shaq did the uh, Jabberwalkers entrance and uh, he was out there clowning and uh, crossing over and, and going one-on-one with Tim Duncan, ISO and stuff like that. So uh, before the game and stuff. So that would probably be uh, just three, just good all-star memories right off the bat. Um, before we get into our uh, final thoughts, I just want to remind everybody that you can help support all of the podcasts here at CSPN by going to our website, CSPN.us, scrolling down, clicking on the tab that says support our sponsors, clicking on any of the tabs uh, to do you know anything that you would like. It's getting warmer outside, so you might need to get you some nice green teas to go to Busted Teas. Go through their lineups, shop with Busted Tees, get you a nice new graphic design t-shirt, two or three, and help the podcast, all of them here on CSPN, stay free each and every week. So CSPN.us and BustedTees.com, do it today. So Dwayne, as we wrap up this, you know, really short week in sports, not much really going on. Uh, college basketball, uh, as we say, is starting to ramp up a lot more. There's, you know, the top 25 and the seedings for the NCAA tournament are starting to get clearer. Is there anything that yeah. you'd like to, uh, you know, touch on before we uh, close this episode out? Yeah. So, yeah, if we talk a little college basketball, a lot of great action yesterday. Um, Northwestern blowing a 27 point lead to Michigan state. Uh, Michigan state was down 53 to 32 and then uh, outscored Northwestern 34 to seven to end the game. Uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's Michigan State being that great or Northwestern being that bad. Uh, a little bit of both, I'll probably say. Uh, Villanova just has Xavier's number in the Big East. Um, Xavier had one of the best seasons ever, but they still have that problem known as the Villanova Wildcats, uh, 10 out of 11. Um, Auburn who was looking like a number one seed, according to the bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Uh, they choked in South Carolina. Texas Tech loses to Baylor. And Kansas beats West Virginia to be a down double digits for a third straight game. Uh, they figured out another way to steal one for the Mountaineers. And UNC smashed Louisville. So a lot of great college hoops going on. Um, you know, my thing is with that is uh, my favorite part, of course. Everybody knows can use my team, so you know I've been real. I've kind of tried to to resign to the fact that the streak may be over, but every time I try to resign to the fact that the streak may end, Kansas does something pretty amazing to get my hopes back up. So my focus, of course, will be on that Big Twelve race between them and Texas Tech, a big one next Saturday night. But gotta worry about Oklahoma first. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a big week for Kansas basketball as they've got Oklahoma on Monday night. Uh, Trey Young coming in, um, you know, the number one target in the country. Everybody's got all eyes on him. Uh, he's talking about how he's getting guarded and the focus on him and how, you know, he's, you know, coming out every night trying to figure out, you know, how teams are going to play him. And then you guys going to shift over, like you said, Saturday night. 
the biggest game of the season in the Big 12. Texas Tech currently has a one-game lead over Kansas. So this will basically be for all the marbles. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, the yeah, they're both tied right now at 10-4, and four, but, of course, Texas Tech got one in Allen Fieldhouse, so KU definitely has to get one right back. Yeah, so this will be uh, a lot of fun. Um, my final thought will be that uh, starting as, as we're recording this, is the start of the NASCAR season, as it is a Daytona day, as we will run the 60th Daytona 500 uh, later on this afternoon. And for the first time since 1971, there will be a full-time African-American driver on the biggest circuit in NASCAR. Bubba Wallace Jr., he's starting seventh in this year's Daytona 500. He's a part of this new class of young guns that are in the sport as we have a changing of the guard with Dale Earnhardt Jr. retiring last year. Uh, Tony Stewart has left the sport. Guys like Kevin Harvick, um, you know, they're kind of near the end of their career. So we've got a kind of this season right here will probably be the official changing of the guard in NASCAR. And I'm just so excited that Bubba Wallace is going to be a part of this. He's going to get a lot of exposure today. Hopefully he can uh, keep the fenders on it and finish in, uh, in these restri- restrictor plate races. If you can ho- hold on to the end, crazy things can happen. And the craziest thing of all would be Bubba Wallace and victory lane, but just finishing, bringing it home uh, in the top 10, top 15, that that would be a win for him and his first, uh, you know, official Daytona 500 of his career. So I'm looking forward to, to what he does today. Dwayne. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was watching the feature with him and Wendell Scott and, it was very, very moving. So I'm very, I'm very glad for that. I know my my dad's a huge NASCAR fan, so I know he's ready for that. Uh, my final thought is um, the National Predators. You know, they were one of those teams that the NHL when they decided to continue their southward expansion, everybody kind of looked at Nashville as like a joke um, starting out. You know, and they kind of almost lost the team. You know, you had some people who wanted to move the team to Hamilton, Ontario, or Kansas City, but the Predators stabilized their ownership. They've only had one GM their whole franchise, their whole franchise existence, and two head coaches in their whole existence of the franchise. And they have set a new record, 90 straight sellouts. So, this town that I live in, Nashville, Tennessee, the city that I live in now, has really become a Predators town, especially after the Stanley Cup final run. Um, selling out 90 straight games, you got to be on the wait list for season tickets. And this is pretty remarkable for um, a franchise that, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, 15 years ago, probably would have been almost didn't even last. So shout out to the Predators organization, very first class, and and it's um, been fun covering games for them as well. Uh, yeah, they've done uh, what it takes, especially for a Southern-based hockey team to, um, you know, get a big following is once you start to have some success, you got to follow it up. And, you know, um, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Um, they played just as well. They're, you know, in the mix again to be a big part of the playoffs again. And, you know, once you get that fan base, uh, you know, in tune to that you're winning and you're putting a good product out there, they'll get behind it because Nashville, just like Raleigh, it's a college town. And, you know, they treat their 
college sports more like college sports. If you're not winning, they're not going to show up just because it's a professional sport. You got to give them something to show up for because there's no tradition of hockey. And I think Nashville's finally got a young enough team and a good enough team that they're starting to build that. And now, you know, three, four, five years of success in a row is going to build up a generation of hockey fans that will be able to come out and support them in 10 or 15 years when maybe the times aren't so good. Right, exactly. So, good luck to the Nashville Predators as they, you know, move forward going on in the NHL season as well. So, for my co-host, the Libra Icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.